0: Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, starting a new chapter uh, this morning, and one of the more interesting chapters, certainly in the book of Romans. Um, we are moving towards Romans chapter 8, which may well be the greatest chapter in Romans and perhaps all of the New Testament, but we need the groundwork. We need to lay this foundational work before we get there because of the magnificence of of chapter 8 will be lessened if we do not understand the realities of chapters 1 through 7. So Romans chapter uh, 7 verses 1 through 6 this morning and the next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll wrap up the rest of the chapter. How many of you are completely clear on the relationship between law and grace? We've had a couple of sermons on that. Everybody's, everybody's good to go? Makes sense? Don't need to cover this anymore, I didn't think so. We are programmed towards law, it's how we uh, have as our default setting. Our question is what can I do? We want that because it means that we then are contributing and of course to have a good work ethic and these things is not a bad thing but that's how our minds work, we wanna contribute to this. It enables us to also compare with other people, so that's helpful for us. I'm doing this better than you. I'm doing more of this than you are, and so on and so forth. We're pre-programmed towards law because we are pre-programmed towards selfishness. It's how we come out of the womb. Now, what Paul is referencing here, as he has been referencing throughout the letter is the Mosaic Law, those 613 Levitical Commands. We have the Ten, all right, the Ten Commandments, and then all of the Book of Leviticus, and uh, so on and so forth. It is this code that uh, Paul is specifically referencing. But I think it applies to us who know really very little of the Mosaic Code. It's not part of our culture. It's not part of our upbringing, other than perhaps the Ten Commandments. But we also struggle with living under law. And and actually, it's what we want, right? I want to know where I'm at, so tell me what I can do. What are the rules and regulations? And what Christ does is frees us from that, and Paul is trying to do that for those to whom he's writing. They're still bound up in this understanding of the law. For a little context those gentile believers that he is writing to in the city of rome no doubt had some connection to the synagogue prior to their conversion Uh, they were those that wanted to follow after god and so were proselytes to judaism perhaps and so when paul is talking about the mosaic Law, and to speaking to those who know the law in verse 1, he's not talking exclusively to Jews, he's talking to both Jews and Gentiles who knew of the law and were versed in it. So read, or I'll read as you follow along, if you would, this morning, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? In order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of God. So Paul, as he does, he is an individual who understands logic and rhetoric. He is writing a very tightly argued uh, stance here, and he continues on as we open up chapter 7. He spent the entirety of chapter 6 talking about the interplay between grace and law and sin, and now he wants to focus in on another aspect of that. Just so we don't lose heart, the rest of chapter 7, he's going to explain it even more because it's a difficulty for the people to whom he's writing and it's a difficulty for us still today in 2021. So notice his definition in verse 1. His definition of being bound to the law is that as long as you are alive, you are under the law. That which you are looking to for hope and for redemption and for salvation If that's where your hope is, you must stick there so long as you are alive. Of course, death releases you from obeying the law. And that should be like, duh, (laughs) but it needs to be stated here because Paul's going to pull more out of this. So it was generally agreed by even the rabbis that if someone died, they no longer needed to keep the law. That makes sense. But Paul's point is, whatever you are looking to for salvation, for redemption, for hope, you are bound to that unless you die to it. Similarly, someone who is Jewish and is looking to the law, that moral code for their salvation, It is not actually a freeing reality. It is a reality of bondage because you are bound to that. And it cannot save as Paul has spent a lot of time thus far explaining. Now in case we didn't get it, Paul is going to give us an illustration as a good uh, rhetorical device. So he's going to give us an illustration from the law. And the illustration is of a married woman. Notice in verses 2a and 3a, she is bound to her husband. A married woman is bound by law to her husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Upon entering into that covenant, husband and wife, a wife was bound to that husband unless that husband died. And so that is the relationship between a wife and her husband under the Old Testament legal code and certainly the relationship of those under the Old Testament legal code to the code itself. Number two, Paul's point is that she would only be freed from that covenant, from that code, from that relationship, from that promise, from that vow, if death occurred. Back half of verse 2, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage 3b, but if her husband dies, she's freed from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. And so freedom from that covenant, from that promise, from that vow, from that relationship can come, but it comes only through death. And then lastly, as we've just uh, read or reread, death frees her then to marry someone else. After her husband dies, if she marries someone else, then under that circumstance she is not an adulteress. she is not in violation of her covenant of the vow of the promise of the relationship she's been freed from it now no illustration is perfect and paul knows that and some have looked in this for one-to-one correspondence the husband is symbolic of the law the wife is us christ is the new husband but it's actually the law that dies, not the wife that dies if the wife is us. And so it's a bit convoluted, so allow me to try to explain it a little bit uh, if I could. It's not a one-to-one equivalency here. But Paul's point is, and don't miss the point, death and only death frees a woman, a wife, from the covenant that she is entered into with her husband. So too, only death can free us from the bondage, from being bound to the law. The law never was for our salvation, never promised that, but the Jews and we today oftentimes struggle with looking to that for our salvation instead of grace, and Paul's point is if that is what we are looking to for our salvation, we are bound to that. The only thing that can release us from looking to our works for salvation is the power of the gospel. And so we move in the third place then to verse 4, which is the key verse of this passage. We are bound to Christ. Four things that we want to bring out from this verse. Such so densely packed theology in a single verse here. In verse 4a, notice he says, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. So the first thing is, we are dead now to the law. The only way this works in the illustration is that the wife dies and then is resurrected. That would be more akin to what's happening here. But that's, again, that's not what would normally happen, so Paul doesn't go there. But the illustration still serves. Death has occurred, and that frees her to marry another. We then have died to the law. And Paul keeps saying this over and over again because we keep needing to hear it. We want to do something. We want to be active. We want to be a participant. We want to earn this. And no matter how much we try, you cannot earn grace. But we keep trying. And Paul keeps telling us, you're dead to the law. He's told us that a lot already. (laughs) He's telling us again. Stop going back to the thing that could not save and cannot save. Stop looking to the thing that is actually that which keeps you in bondage and not that which frees you. The whole point of the law, one of the many reasons why God gave it, was to show us that. This is what perfection looks like. And of course, Christ even goes deeper in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with what's called the Sermon on the Mount to go below even the standards of the law to our motivations. No one can keep the law. That's one of the points of the law. And yet, these believers, these Jewish and Gentile Christians, keep going back to law. That's the way. And Paul says, stop. Stop doing that. You're dead to the law. As he has said in chapter 6, verse 14, you're dead to sin. It no longer has a hold over you. Stop looking to something that cannot save for salvation. You were in bondage to the law. You were bound by it. If this is your way of salvation, if this is your way of pleasing God, if this is your way of righteousness, then have at it. But it is not going to save. It cannot save. And in order to be released from that bondage, death needs to occur. It did occur. Christ died and resurrected. Therefore, we have died to the law, and Paul has to keep reminding us of that. See, we do this all the time, too. Somebody comes to faith in Christ, and it's it's clear their conversion. They were trusting in themselves, their own innate goodness, that their good would outweigh their bad, all of these things, and the Holy Spirit of God breaks through and shows them their sinfulness They realize they are lost and without hope and their only hope is an external savior and the only one that can save is Jesus Christ the righteous. They come to that realization. They repent and they believe and then one of the first things we tell them is, now here's all the things you need to do. Paul continually tells us, stop doing that, all right? You are dead to the law. Which means now, the second place, We are free to be bound to Christ. I love the seeming paradoxical nature of Scripture. What does he say? So that you may belong to another. As we looked at last Sunday, this is not Then we become a free agent, right? We've been cut from this team and now we're sort of out there looking for a team or we might not join one because we're awesome, right? It is not that we are slaves to sin and then we're freed and now we're free to just do whatever we want. We're slaves now to righteousness. In the same way, he says, you have died to one husband, if we can put it that way, extend the illustration, not so that you can just wander around free and unattached and uncommitted, so that you can be bound to Christ, the one who freed you. The freedom comes in being bound to Jesus. Tie yourself to the law, it cannot save, and it will actually make things worse, as Paul's going to say in verses 5 and 6. But align yourself to Christ. He and he alone can give you freedom. He and he alone will save you from your sins, from the inside out, and transform you into the person that you were created to be. Freedom comes then in being bound to Christ. Being remarried, we can almost say, to extend the illustration that Paul uses in verses 2 and 3. The law has died, Christ killed it, so that we could be married to him. And Paul will talk about this illustration or use this illustration in other places, Ephesians 5 most notably. That the church is the wife of the bride of Christ. Now in the third place. This is amazing. Notice we are bound to him forever. To him who has been raised from the dead. Why does Paul bring up the resurrection of Jesus Christ at this point? There's many reasons. Certainly it is that which shows that he actually did pay for sin and death and it is done. But I think the point that he's trying to make is that our being bound in, quote-unquote, marriage to Christ will last forever because Christ's lasts forever. Jesus Christ died, but then he rose again to life from the grave, never to die again. So before, we were married to a husband, the law, that was going to die and would not be resurrected. But Jesus Christ the righteous Yes, did die, but the third day he rose again to life from the dead, never to die again. And so this marriage is now a forever one. The one who can actually save us, the one who can actually free us, the one who can actually forgive us, the one who can actually pronounce us righteous, if we are bound to him, that relationship lasts forever forever. And what a beautiful reality that is. Which leads into the fourth place only through him can we glorify God. In order that, Paul says, we may bear fruit for God. Same language has been used in chapter 6. Do not hear Paul say something Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying, come to Jesus and then live as you want, come to Jesus and there'll be no changes. Come to Jesus and it will be freedom of the kind that we oftentimes think of when we think of freedom. Free to do whatever I want. That's not freedom, as we discovered last Sunday. Come to Jesus Christ. Only he can transform you to become who you were made and meant to be. Who you were created to be. Come to Jesus Christ and he can turn you from someone who is harsh into someone who is kind. Come to Jesus Christ and he can turn you and transform you from someone who holds grudges to someone who readily forgives. Come to Jesus Christ and he can transform you from someone who is selfish to someone who has deep and abiding compassion. Come to Jesus Christ and he will transform you from someone who believes and perpetuates lies into someone who knows and follows hard after the truth. Come to Jesus Christ and he will change you from someone who hates into someone who who loves only through Christ can we be transformed and we will start looking like the law but not because of the law and I understand that there's still residual confusion right because this is how we've been trained oftentimes in the church come freely to Jesus and then we will give you the list of rules Come as you are to Jesus Christ, and then once you're kind of in the fold, we'll give you the lengthy, uh, you know, recounting of the regulations and restrictions. Rather than come to Jesus Christ, and if he is indeed your Lord and Savior, you will never be the same again. And it will be evident, not just when you walk an aisle and cry and pray a prayer, it will be evident every single day of your life. The law binds us. Jesus frees us. The law does not encourage us on to godliness. The law stirs up in us our sinful passions, as Paul's about to say. Only Jesus not only gives us freedom in Christ, but gives us the ability to live like him. Only through Jesus Christ can we glorify God. And so in the fourth place then, verses 5 and 6, and Paul does this after he gives us again the indicatives, and here there's not necessarily imperatives, it's more indicatives, but, but he almost wants to praise God and thank Him for what He has done in Christ. Bound no longer, notice in verse 5a, we're no longer bound to sin. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members. The law far from making us more holy, was actually making us more unrighteous. The law, far from saving us, was actually corrupting us. Not that the law is the problem. Paul's going to immediately go into that in verse 7, and we'll get there next week. (laughs) But he is saying, it's not just that the law is sort of uh, an an inanimate, um, amoral agent. The law actually... Combined with our sinful desires, sin is the problem, not the law, but put those two things together and bad things happen. What happens to you when you see a sign, don't walk on the grass? What's the first thing you want to do? Let's have a picnic. What does restriction do to us? It immediately arouses in us the desire to go against those restrictions. And that is one of only a a number of, of examples of how the law combined with our sin does not move us towards righteousness, but actually drags us further down into unrighteousness. But we're no longer bound to sin. The problem was not the law. Paul's going to make that clear. The problem is us. And only Jesus Christ can take care of that. Only Jesus Christ can free us from sin. He's just spent a whole chapter... Uh, telling us that we're no longer bound to death notice the end of that verse 5 to bear fruit for death what has he just got done talking about in chapter 6 especially 15 to 23 what is the end the wages of sin in verse 6 and verse 23 is death that's the end result of sin and we were bound to that we had no hope of life and certainly not of eternal life that's who we were. But now, he says, in verse 6, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We're no longer bound to the law. That old way of the written code, he says, in the rest of verse 6. Here we were, sinners from birth, bound for death and for judgment by God in hell Dead men walking, revealing our true condition repeatedly. We can clean ourselves up, you know, around certain people and for a certain amount of time. But give us enough time and give us enough proximity and it's all coming out because that's who we are at our core. That's the real us. So we were bound to sin, that's who we are, which resulted in death, which was more bondage, and our attempts to free ourselves from that through the law resulted in even more bondage. But now, Paul says, we are free. So we can serve in the new way of the Spirit. We are free to serve in the Spirit. We are free to be who God created us to be and through Christ is recreating us to be. It is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It is about walking in this beautiful new relationship that God has called us into and given us a new nature. We have new desires, new passions, not the old sinful passions from verse 5, but new passions after godliness and righteousness and holiness. And if we don't, we need to question whether or not we are actually in relationship with God. Because when you meet Christ, or better, when Christ meets you, you are never the same. Paul knew that because Jesus met him. Paul was full of himself, masking it behind a supposed desire to honor God. And he was out to kill and imprison Christians. He was all about himself Self-advancement, he had the right degrees, he had the right teachers, he had the right pedigree, the right family, and it was all about advancing brand Paul. Paul was wrapped up in self as every single one of us uh, used to be. And then Jesus met him and stopped him in his tracks. And Paul was never the same. This old way of thinking that we need all these rules and regulations and restrictions... Paul says that has to die. Because if we are in Christ, it doesn't have to be coerced. Do we need accountability? Yes. Do we need help? 100%. But the impetus for that, the reality of that, the reason behind that is not because of a list of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. It is Jesus Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Paul says you can't get these things mixed up and we're still doing it. We're still doing it in 2021. Paul says we are bound no longer. We are free in Christ, not free to live as we want, free to honor him, and that's what our lives should look like. Preaching, then, ought not to be manipulative. It ought not to be top-down. Oftentimes, as said, we get all the imperatives. We get all the commands. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, and we feel guilt. And all of these things, the reality is that thou shalt and that thou shalt not are only freeing because of the truth that we are free in Jesus Christ who actually shalt and shalt not. That's the beauty of the gospel. And Paul says you have to, have to, have to get it right. Because when we get it wrong, we get it wrong to our peril. So Grace Baptist Church, if you are here in Christ you have repented of your sin and trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation. You are a new creature in him. You've been given a new nature and therefore new passions and new desires. You need to, you will, not need, I'm slipping into it myself, you will live that out. You are free now to live as God has called you to live. If I can illustrate this as we close. Mel and I went on our first date and after that date she did not hand me a large binder with a title Rules for Dating Melanie Fleetstra. 613 Rules and Regulations if you want to date Melanie Fleetstra. Had she done that our first date probably would have also been our last. And yet as we entered into relationship, grew in our relationship, and then covenanted together in our relationship, there's a lot of things that I do now before I entered into relationship with Mel that I wasn't doing before. And there's a lot of things I've stopped doing now that I'm in relationship with Mel that I was doing before. Did any of that have to do with a big list of rules and regulations? No, all of it had to do with her love for me and my love for her. And that's the gospel and we've got to get that right. Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your word and its clarity. So often, we want to do things. We want to participate. We want to contribute. We want to earn this. As someone high profile recently has said, it's too good to be true, but it's not. It is true. It is the free gift from you of eternal life we cannot earn it we do not deserve it and so father i pray that we would stop trying but that instead out of love for you we would live as you have called us to not out of external conformity because of inward compulsion Father, there's a lot of topics that could be addressed from this pulpit, and for a time we might conform, for a time we might get back on track, but the only thing that will last is a true relationship with you, out of which all of these things flow. Father, we cannot get the gospel wrong, and so I pray that we are clear here this morning The good news is this, not that there is a code, a list, a manual, the good news is this, we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. We do not deserve this, we cannot earn it, we cannot pay you back. The wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is our hope, Father. Help us not to get that twisted. Help us to always be on guard against putting ourselves back under the slave master of sin and the slave master of the law. We have been freed. Help us to live that way. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.